and friends, family, we say welcome to the lighthouse and we trust you have made yourself at home and if we can help you in any way, I want you just to, just to, to get a hold of me and let me know because here we want to serve and lead all of us deeper into his presence. Hallelujah. The Bible is an incredible uh, story that takes place over the pages. It, it's, it's a linear story for the most part, while there's some things that overlap, and, and sometimes you'll read the narrative, and then later you'll see perhaps a prophecy or, or, or an epistle. But for the most part, it's a linear uh, uh, transition of time. And Especially the Old Testament, you find all of the, the ups and the downs of the children of Israel. You find the things that they went through and uh, it brings you to it. But I want to I just invite you to turn with me to the book of Daniel. Turn to Daniel chapter 1. And while we may not read it verbatim or even word for word, we'll at least kind of start there. And uh, we'll take some time to see what God has in store. You know, I, I, I think you know this. I, I don't know that there's anybody so new to the things of God that this would come as a surprise to you. But can I just remind you that there is a spiritual war that rages for our soul. That just, it, it started before time began. Up in heaven, when God was on the throne, the angels were gathered around the earth. From what we can tell, had not even yet been created. But there was one angel. Name was Lucifer. And, and, and he decided that he wanted to be like God. He was a creation of God. He was not God. He, he did not have the creative ability. He was formed by God's own hand. But yet he decided to usurp or try to usurp the authority of God. And there the battle began to rage. Of course we know that, that God doesn't need any help. I, my wife and I have been blessed uh, to, to do a lot of children's ministry and when we do our children's ministry we you know of course we act things out we try to put the sermon in an illustrated format and there's been one thing that's a pet peeve of mine and that is I don't like it when there's a puppet skit or a, an illustrated sermon or anything that portrays God and the devil wrestling and fighting because I'm going to tell you there's not a wrestling match that happens the devil might push all God has to say is get out and the devil's done there's no, no fighting going on, if you will. The, 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 the devil doesn't have that ability. But, um, you know, it, we, we do wrestle. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against spirits, against rulers of darkness, and all of that. But here's the key. We don't wrestle against each other. That's not where the battle is. But don't stop there. Don't stop, we wrestle not. Because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we're not wrestling against each other. But the understanding is we are in a battle. There is a battle for our soul. There is a battle for what our eternity will hold. And as you peruse through the pages of the Bible, you find very quickly that battle has raged from the beginning of time. In Daniel chapter 1 it says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and with some of the vessels of the house of God. He brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. This, uh, it starts the book of Daniel by this. Because of Judah, 
their apostasy, because of their, their disobedience to God, because of everything that they had done, God had allowed Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom of Babylon to come to besiege it. It ultimately began to take things away. This was a time of exile. We know, if you've been here for our Exploring God's Word on Wednesday night, you know that Israel, uh, after Solomon had died, we know that, that Israel, the kingdom of Israel, was divided in two. You had the kingdom of Israel, which was the northern ten tribes, and you had the kingdom of Judah, which was the southern two tribes. But, uh, both of them were still called the children of God. But this was the kingdom of Judah. Jerusalem was there. And because of... Uh, uh, Israel and, and Judah's disobedience, they became captives and in exile. Uh, Israel fell to Assyria and Judah fell to Babylon. It was a dark time in Israel's history. Prophets and prophecies had gone forth before that saying that if you don't turn, this is going to happen. And now the shoe has dropped and there they are. But in the midst of that, I would like to introduce you again to four young men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Because when, when, when Nebuchadnezzar came to, to Jerusalem, not only did they destroy the city and not only did they spoil the temple and take some of the gold and candlesticks and the vessels out of there, but also they brought some of the people of Israel, those of the royal family of nobility, those youth that what Bible says were without blemish, kind of those that look good, they were brought out as well. Now there was a series of, of things that happened to Jerusalem until finally it was utterly destroyed. But beginning they were, the, the, these children, I mean for, for lack of a better word, they were kidnapped, these young men. There the Bible says that they were taught the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. They were, had the, they, they, they were prescribed the portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were going to be educated for three years and at the end of that time, they were going to stand before the king. I don't know when and, and, and how long ago, but my wife has a, a little Bible and there's a post-it note in there and I'm sure it was a sermon she had heard somewhere or maybe in her own study, but it just simply says that if they can change your language, if they can change your diet, if they can change your name, they can try to also change your God. And that's exactly what was happening to these four young men. They were there for a, a, uh, a re-education, if you will. Maybe even a brainwashing, so to speak. For three years, they were going to be changed from a child of God to a citizen of of the Babylonians. It had to have been a bad time. Now I know that, that Jerusalem and Judah, they deserve this punishment. On a whole, the children of God had left their love. They had walked away and so this was the result of their sin. But I would like to tell you today that I don't know that Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, I don't know that they uh, on their own deserve that punishment. In fact, what I can tell is that they had a, 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 a righteousness within them. That even taken into captivity, they still said, we're going to serve the Lord. You know the story. Some of you may not recognize some of those names because the Babylonians changed. Daniel he called Belteshazzar and Hananiah, Nebuchadnezzar called Shadrach and Mishael. They called Meshach and Azariah they called Abednego. And so I would like to tell you today that those four young men, they didn't, 
in their own uh, uh, things. They didn't deserve what had happened to them. This punishment that came was a punishment that fell upon the entire nation of Israel and Judah. But there they were. They were stripped from their homes, taken from their families. For three years, they had no idea what was going on. To happen, they were going to be reindoctrinated in Babylonian culture and knowledge. All of this began to happen, but there was something in the hearts of those four young men that said, even in the face of adversity, we will stand. We're not going to move, we're not going to be shaken. No matter what comes, we don't deserve it, we don't, we don't understand it, but we're going to be. There, The Bible says that Daniel resolved in his heart along with those other three and they said we're not going to defile ourselves with the king's food or with the wine that they drink. You know the story. They said tell you what, why don't you let us eat just this fruit, this water. We're not going to eat the rich food and we're going to just kind of allow ourselves to be there. Daniel Uh, When he told that to those in charge, they didn't like that. They were afraid that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were going to become weak and malnourished. And then, of course, how would that look? But as it was, that dedication and that consecration always helped them. They, They fared at the end of this little test period. They fared fatter and fairer and better than all of the other ones that had ate the good, rich food. They said, we shall not bow. They did that. But I I, I find it interesting that I don't know. We know a lot about Daniel's prayer. We know a lot about what Daniel did. But what about these other three Hebrew children, if you will? The Bible brings us uh, after that. It brings us in chapter 3 of Daniel to that time where Nebuchadnezzar made a golden image. It was 60 cubits. Its breath was six Cubits. He, he said it there in the plain and he, he said I, I'm going to gather all of those that are in authority. I'm going to gather all of the rulers, all of the royalty, all of the political heads and all the people. We're going to gather there out on that plain and when the music begins to play I want everybody to bow. You know the story, just hang with me. There it was that uh, they, they started it. It was set up. The orchestra was ready, and there all of those people were were gathered there. And when that music began to play, there was standing in the midst three that would not bow. Now Nebuchadnezzar had made it very clear. He said, if you don't bow, I've got a fiery furnace, and I'm going to burn you up in. And so there it was. These three were standing. I don't exactly know where Daniel was at that time. I can tell you this. He didn't bow. He must not have been there or, or the rioter didn't uh, uh, acknowledge him. But those three stood to attention. And you can imagine as they stood while all of those thousands bowed, somebody looked around and saw him standing and went to the king and said, Hey, those three aren't standing or aren't bowing. Now Nebuchadnezzar had, had found favor in these four young men and he didn't want to uh, you know, just, just kill them right then. And so he, he tried. He said, Maybe you didn't understand. Maybe I wasn't clear. All I need you to do is bow. Everything will be good. You can go back to doing whatever you want to do. But just for this moment, I need you to bow. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, and this is what they said. O Nebuchadnezzar, 
We have no need to answer you in this manner. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. That's faith. We're going to stand in the midst of this tragic place, in the midst of this exile, and we didn't deserve it per se. Again, I'm talking about just them personally. You know, we, we, we didn't choose this lifestyle. We're trying to live for God, and God will deliver us out of your hand. Anybody ever gone through a trial? Anybody ever gone through a sickness and that was your response? God, you can heal me. God, you can deliver me. God, you can get me out of this mess I'm in. Then there's this other statement. But if not, if the Lord decides for whatever reason to not deliver me, we still won't serve your God or worship the golden image. Nebuchadnezzar was mad. He gave him one more chance. The music began to play. And those three stood He turned the fire up, the Bible says, seven times hotter. And he grabbed hold of those three young men and he said, because of your disobedience to the king, we're going to throw you there into the fire. You know the story, but just hang with me as I try to show you one other different aspect of that story that you may not have thought about. And that was that Nebuchadnezzar took those three young men and threw them in the fire. But this is my this is the mindset that I can see. Those four young men, or those three young men, they, they said, We're gonna walk in that fire. And if God kills us, we'll still stand. If if nothing else happens, if this is the end of my life, I'm still gonna stand. They began to walked to that fire. I don't know how it was. I know the end of the story. I know that God delivered them. I know that there was one that walked in the fire with them that was like unto the Son of God, which is simply a theophany of God himself. I know all of that. I know when they came out of the fire, they didn't smell like smoke. Their clothes weren't singed. I understand all that, but can I take you to just the moment? in which those three are marched down that that runway into the mouth of that burning furnace and even the people that are trying to throw them in, the fire is so hot that they succumb before they even get close enough hardly to throw them in. I don't know if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego felt the heat. I don't know if they felt any of that. But this is what I am positive in. That they said, devil, you have tried everything you can to get our heart off of God. You have tried to change my diet, but we stood. You've tried to change our understanding and philosophy and religion, but I still stood. You have tried to change everything about me, but I'm going to stand because I know there is a God that is with me. And I stand before a fiery furnace. And I don't know what the outcome is going to hold I don't know if I'm going to walk out of this But devil can I just tell you I don't care what you throw at me I don't care what you want to give me I've got a confidence That even if he doesn't bring me out of the fire He will bring me to his self And so they walked into that fire Now maybe, maybe I'm taking it a bit too far I'd like to tell you that it wasn't completely perfect I would like to tell you that they had fear. Got to take you to Daniel in the lion's den. Even though God shut the mouth of the lions, I I, I don't think Daniel walked in there going, oh, look at the teddy bears. 
I'd like to think that when Daniel got in there, it was the same concept. I'm about to get ripped apart. Now, I know God can protect me, but I'm about to get ripped apart. I don't think those lions just kind of nuzzled up on them like kittens at first. Maybe that's just because that's how God works with me. God doesn't let everything be perfect in the midst of my trials. And so I would like to think that since God is no respecter of persons, he doesn't do it for Daniel or the children of, 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 uh, you know, those, those three Hebrew children. But they got there in that fire. And I just wonder what was going through their mind. They had watched those get close to the fire and die. Now they're in the fire. And they're walking around. And I just wonder in the back of their mind if they just simply said, you know what? We're still standing. You know what, devil? I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know if I'm stuck here in this fire forever. But at least right now, let me tell you, in the midst of my greatest trial, in the midst of my greatest time, in the midst of my greatest fear, in the midst of my greatest worry, I can stand here and say, devil, I'm still standing. Now, again, see, hindsight's twenty twenty. We, we know the end of the story. We know they brought him out there. Nebuchadnezzar looked in and said, hmm, I see one like the Son of God. Bring him out. Brings those four out, and they don't smell like fire, and it's a great miracle, and we sing stories about it, and children uh, learn about it in Sunday school, and there's great messages. But I would like to just tell you that when they are in the midst of the fire, they did not have the luxury of seeing the outcome on the end. Just like many times when you're going through a battle and you're going through an attack and you're going through a trial, you don't have the luxury of seeing the other side. But you can do this. You can say no matter what happens, even if you slay me, I'll still trust you and I'm going to stand no matter what comes my way. Job comes. Bible says that the devil, he, he, he goes to God and he says, I, I, I've watched all these people and they only serve you because you're good to them. And God says, well, let's take this one. Here's Job. Job is a rich man. Job has everything you want. I'm going to prove to you, devil, that people are, uh, that, that, that serve me are able to stand even when some of the good times are gone. He said, in fact, devil, I'll give you permission to do anything you want to him. Just don't touch him. It seemingly in one day, he lost all of his, his animals. He lost his family. He lost his house. He lost his barns. And still, Job said, hmm, I'm still standing. Devil goes back to God and says, you know what? That was a trick question, God. Because anybody might can suffer that kind of loss and still serve you. But if you'd let me affect him, if you'd let me touch his health, and God says, tell you what, I'll let you do anything you want to do to Job, but you can't kill him. You can bring him almost to death, but you can't kill him. Boils come on Job. His hair starts falling out. Sores appear on him. His health goes down the drain. And still in the midst of the dirt, while he's taking broken pottery and scratching his sores with them because of the pain and the itching, when his friends are giving him all sorts of awful information, when his wife even looks at him and says, Job, why don't you curse God and die? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this. But have you ever been in such a battle 
Have you ever been in such a strait that the thought from the devil comes in your mind that says, why don't you just give up, curse God, and die? Now, some of you may say, oh, no, I've never done it, but I don't believe it because I'm convinced. I've walked this path for 38 years, and I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. The devil knows right where to put that discouragement. The devil knows right where to give you the end of the rope, and he gives you everything that you need right there to just give up and go. But somewhere in the midst of that dirt, somewhere in the midst of bleeding ulcers, somewhere in the midst of despair, somewhere in the midst of loneliness, Job just kind of put him himself up and he says devil you've thrown everything you can at me but I'm still standing see the the longer I live I, I face this battle as a pastor I like to preach the miracles of God I like to preach the salvation of God. I like to preach the power and the majesty of God. But I have learned this, Sister Sorrels, sometimes all of that isn't necessarily seen in the moment. So what do you preach to a person that the miracle hasn't come? What do you preach to the person that's standing in the fire? What do you preach to a person that's in the lion's den? What do you preach to a person that's in despair? And I hear it from God, and I can hear it pound him. He said, simply preach this. Tell him, you're still standing. The very fact that you got up this morning and walked yourself into church tells me that I'm in the midst of a congregation. Not everything is good. Not everything is perfect. Not everything is is going right but you're here today and you ought to just look the devil in the eye and say devil you've thrown everything you know to throw but hey I'm still standing oh Peter look at Luke chapter 22 because it's not only the things that the enemy throws at us that we can say I'm still standing you can stand even when you've failed. I think it was the last song we sung, but it may have been the third, I can't remember, but there was a phrase in there that caught my attention. It says, all of my past and my present wrongs. Now, I'm not advocating that you sin. In fact, read the book of Romans and it would say, don't don't sin just because God can forgive you. That would be heresy and God forbid that you just kind of take advantage of God's grace and mercy. But this I know. We are fallen humanity. And even when God's spirit is within us, we don't always operate and walk full of his spirit. There are times that our flesh becomes weak. There is times that our disciplines of uh, of spiritual life has grown cold. And because of that, we find ourselves on paths that we know we ought not be on. I, I will tell you in my life, one of the most frustrating things is when your conscience and the spirit that dwells in you is screaming at you. Don't do that and your flesh overrides it and does it anyway. Can I get a witness? Yeah. When, when everything spiritually within you says you're about to take the wrong step and you do it anyway. Ain't no mistake in that. There's no, well, I kind of flipped or, or, or slipped. No, no. You willingly sinned. 
But I want you to look at Luke chapter 12, or Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. They're, they're there, you know, in, in that upper room, that Passover. And Jesus looks at Peter. He does something interesting. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I will tell you, Peter, after the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now, see, here's one of these moments that, again, it's not right, but it gives me hope. I find it interesting that God reverts back to Peter's old name. If you read your Bible, read the Gospels, you know that, that Peter was first called Simon. And it wasn't till a, a, a moment where, where God looks at, at his disciples and says, uh, whom do men say that I am? And they start telling. And then he says, now who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and he says, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, well, flesh and blood didn't reveal that unto you. Uh, Simon Barjona, but, but uh, you know that this comes from God And so we're going to change your name We're going to change you to Peter No longer are you going to be called Simon It's a common theme in the Bible Where God will change the names of people To, to, to show that their destiny has altered And so, but, but here he goes back to Simon I think the Lord did that on purpose To remind Peter of his fallen nature That you're not out of the woods yet, Peter you haven't walked on streets of gold yet, Peter. You've not translated into your heavenly body, Peter. You're still susceptible to sin. You're still susceptible to temptation. You're still susceptible. Satan desires to have you. He demands to have you like wheat. It reminds me of, of I got that story mixed up a couple weeks ago or last week, but it reminds me of Esau. It reminds me of Cain. Reminds me of others that had a moment to do the right, but chose to do wrong. Peter says, not a chance. Not a chance, God. I've walked with you. I've walked on water. Come on. I am the only one that's not of heavenly origin that's walked on water. I would never deny you. Jesus smiles that wry old smile. And says, you're going to hear that rooster crow. Three times. Peter gets around that fire and little servant girl, Jesus is in the, 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 the house and he's being grilled and it, there's a trial and, and all of this is playing on and that little servant girl says, Peter, weren't you one of his disciples? Peter ducks his head and says, not a chance, lady. You don't know what you're talking about. Uh, uh, but, but no, no, I'm pretty sure I saw you walking with him. You don't know what you're talking about. No, no, I can tell. I can hear it in your voice. You're from Galilee. You're one of those Galileans. And, and Peter curses and denies. And that rooster is crowing all the time. And in the back of his mind, that rooster crow was the voice of Satan says, See, I got you. He had already done it to, to, to Judas. Judas had already fallen. Satan had already got a hold of one of the disciples. And that disciple ended his life at the end of a rope on, the, on, on, on some cliff. And Satan had said, I had won that war for that disciple. But now I got you, Peter. 
Peter begins to weep. He begins to cry. Guilt begins to flood his mind. All of that condemnation weighs heavily on him. But can I tell you today that even when you have sinned and denied the very power of God, there is still something that can rise up in you and say, though I have failed and though I have walked far away, devil, this is not the end of me. I'm still standing. You say, how do you know that, pastor? Well, simple. Judas didn't stand. Judas committed suicide because he couldn't handle the guilt and the shame. Peter, now I, I know Peter, he walked with God, and if anybody had, had you know, heard everything that Jesus had said, it would be just about Peter. Peter had heard almost everything, every prophetic word, every parable, every story. And I don't know if Peter truly understood everything that was going to play out. I know, oh, I'll build this temple up in three days. I understand all that. But right now, Jesus is dead in a grave. But somewhere, there was this push in Peter's life that says, I'm, I'm going to just stand not quite ready to give up. I don't know how it's all going to play out. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I don't know if, if what God really said is going to come true. I, I don't know if Jesus is ever going to leave that grave or not. I, I don't know, but i got to do this. I'm still standing. He walks back to the seashore and he gets on a boat. And he goes back to what he knows best and he starts fishing. And all the while that devil's pecking at him. You failed. You've messed up. You're not good for anything. You might as well just jump overboard. You might as well tie a rock around your neck and go swimming and never come up. You might as well give up. And Peter just simply said, I'm going to stand. I'm going to give God a chance. I'm not going to give up now. Until a little girl, a little lady named Mary Magdalene came running up to Peter and said, Peter, I was there at the, at the tomb and there was nobody there except some angels. And the angel looked at me and he said, I want you to go tell all the disciples and tell Peter, I'm still alive. And Peter ran with those other disciples so he could see it himself. And he runs and he looks in the cave. He looks in that tomb and sure enough, there he is. And I can hear him saying, ha, I stood long enough that maybe I can see the answer. I didn't give up. I find it very interesting in that story of Jesus' foretelling of Peter's denial. That he says, when you are turned again, strengthen your brothers. Perhaps it was that simple phrase by Jesus. You're going to fail, Satan, or or Peter. Satan's going to grab hold of you. You're going to fail. You're going to deny me. But when you have turned again, you'll be the one that strengthens your brothers. And how how do I know this scripture is fulfilled? Well, you get to the book of Acts, and you look at Acts chapter 2, and on the day of Pentecost, the one that had denied Jesus is the one that stands in front of all of those people and says... I'm still standing. The God that you tried to get rid of, the one you tried to kill and bury and all of that, this Jesus is here and he begins to preach. He said, I'm still standing. Can I tell somebody right now that no matter what sin you've committed, I promise you it can't be worse than denying Jesus. No matter what sin you've committed, if you'll just stand long enough, God will deliver you. 
It's the children of Israel when they left ex, when they left Egypt in that Exodus, and they get there at that Red Sea, and they're they're standing there at the Red Sea, and six hundred chariots from Egypt is following them, and captains over every one of them, and hundreds and thousands of of the men from Egypt's army are pursuing them. They're behind them. The sea is in front of them, and Moses had heard from the Lord, and he looks at the people, and this is what he says: "Fear not, and stand still." That's easy for you to say. It's about as asinine as when you're on the airplane and they give you all them safety instructions. And they say, if for any reason, just perhaps, this airplane loses altitude and loses uh, 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 cabin pressure, this little thing's going to fall from here, put it on your mouth and breathe normally. I don't think there's anybody in life that's ever breathed normally in one of those things. Because if I'm on an airplane and that thing opens, I'm going to hyperventilate so bad the bag is going to be at the back of my throat. Hey, tell you what, children of Israel, there's a sea in front of you and an army behind you. And, and Moses has made Pharaoh so mad, there ain't a chance you're getting out of this alive. But just stand still. I don't think everybody did that. Some of them were running around. Some of them were trying to figure out how it was all going to happen. But he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians who you have seen today, you will see them again no more forever. Can I tell somebody right? Right now, you might be in the midst of that Red Sea. You might be where the enemy is coming with everything that he has. But if you'll just stand still long enough, if you'll just say, God, I'll stand. I don't feel like standing. I don't feel like being quiet. I don't feel like trusting everything in me. All of my spidey senses tingling, saying that it's over for me. But I'm going to stand and see the salvation of the Lord come to pass. Because the Lord will fight for you and you will hold your peace. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13. Let me tell you what you do when you're in the midst of a struggle. Let me tell you what you do when you're in the midst of a trial. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch ye and stand fast in the faith. He didn't say stand fast in your miracle. He didn't say stand fast with everything being perfect. He said stand in your faith. If he slay me, still I'll trust him. If I burn in the fiery furnace, I'll still trust him. If I'm ripped to shreds by the lion, I'll still trust him. If the cancer takes me, I'll still trust him. If the answer doesn't come, I'll still trust him. If I never find the end of this road, I'll still trust him. It's Galatians chapter 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where Christ hath made us free. Be not entangled again. It's Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. And this is what you need to understand. This is everything else has led you to this point right here. This is what you do in the midst of your struggle. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And again, let me remind you, you will wrestle. Life is not going to be easy. And if your life is easy, if nothing is happening, you better be really scared. Because that means the devil already has you and he doesn't have to fight for you. Let me say that again. If everything in your life is so perfect and you've never felt that pushback from the enemy, then you better fear for your life because that means the enemy's not concerned about you anymore. You ever, I, I used to hear it, I don't know that it's completely biblical, but we always used to say and sing when the, when the Lord starts blessing, the devil starts messing. I don't know if I find Bible for that, but I can tell you my experience is true of that. He said, stand fast, stand against the wilds. And he says, therefore, or, or rather, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, stand. What do you mean, God? What do you mean by that? That seems kind of redundant. When you've done all to stand, stand. When it seems like you don't have one ounce of strength left, stand. When you don't have one more praise that you could give to him, stand. When you don't want to come to church anymore, simply stand. When your faith has been shaken, stand. When the devil sifts you like wheat, stand. When you don't know what's going to happen, stand. When you don't know where the answer's coming from, stand. That means sometimes you're not going to have the peace of God, but you can stand. But there's a difference to this standing. No longer are you standing as some you know, person out there all by yourself. But you are standing with the whole armor of God. Stand therefore with your loins girt about with truth. And having the breastplate of righteousness. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all taking the shield of faith. Wherewith you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Watch thereto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. When you don't know what to do, stand. Sometimes the greatest testimony of your life is this. Devil, I'm still standing. faith ought not be measured by the miracles that God has done in your life but the, the times that he's let you stand in the face of adversity a true test of a Christian's faith is when they come to church when physically, emotionally and, and, and in a sense spiritually you have no reason nor desire to come to church the norm, faith is measured when you get out of bed when everything says stay in faith is measured when your body is racked with pain but you come to church 
And in the midst of that pain, you lift a hand. Even though it takes everything within you to lift that hand, what you're telling the devil is, I'm still standing. Faith is measured in the midst of despair to come and lift a voice and say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I don't have time to sing it. But I grew up listening to Donnie McClurkin say, what do you do when you've done all you can and it seems like it's never enough? What do you say when your friends turn away and you're all alone? Tell me, what do you give when you've given your all and it seems like you can't make it through? And then emphatically he gives you the answer. Well, you just stand when there's nothing left to do. You just stand and watch the Lord see you through. When you've done all you can, you stand. When you've done all you can, you've gone through the pain, you've gone through the storm, you've gone through the rain. When you've prayed and you've cried and you've done all you can, you stand. Because the measure of faith is marked by those who can walk into the fiery furnace not knowing if they'll walk out but they stand. The measure of faith is marked by those who can walk in the, the lion's den not knowing if they'll walk out, but they stand. Job did not have the luxury of knowing the conversation that went on in heaven. Listen to me, somebody. Job did not have the luxury of hearing God say to Satan, you can do anything to Job, just don't. Job had watched everything he had go down the drain. And it only made sense the next thing was he was going to die from all of the diseases and the boils and all of that that he had. Job didn't have the luxury of knowing, I'm not going to die. And to be honest, if Job had known he can't kill me but he can do everything else, Job might have possibly taken his own life to say, you mean I'm going to have to live with this for the rest of my life? Job didn't have that luxury. Job's faith was this. Naked came I into this world, and naked will I return. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I can see old Job getting up out of that dust when he's listened to friends that were not faithful and he's listened to a wife that gave him horrid advice. And I can see Job on shaking legs brushing that slack cloth and ashes off of him. And I can see Job lifting a feeble hand. And he says, I do know this. I'm still standing. I don't know if this is as good as it's ever going to be, but I'm still standing. I'm here to preach to somebody right now. You ought to stand to your feet right now in the midst of every trial. You ought to stand to your feet right now in the midst of every circumstance. You ought to stand to your feet right now in the midst of every despair and discouragement and sickness and things of this life. And you ought to raise a hand and let it be not only a worship to God, but let it be an emphatic statement to the enemy. I'm still standing. Devil, what you thought was going to harm me, God is walking me through it. I don't know how it's all going to turn out, but devil, you have hit me with your best shot. Devil, you have done everything you can, and you've not shaken me yet because I'm here today. 
can I tell you right now that if you're here today, you can wake it through whatever comes your way. If you got up this morning and you walked to church as bad as you think your life has been, can I tell you if God has sustained you this far, God will sustain you until he comes. Tell him, say, I'm still Standing, I want you to begin to lift your hands and I want you to begin to let it be in your own words. I want you to begin to let it be in your own way. But it's more than just worship to God. Let something grab hold of you. Let something rise up inside of you. Let a faith rise. Let a bulldog determination rise. Lord, I